0: We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.
1: The FT Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm James Blitz, standing in for Gideon Rackman. Scotland is going to the polls on September the 18th in its referendum on independence to decide whether to stay inside the United Kingdom or break a link that has lasted 307 years. It's an extraordinary campaign and it's one which has proved very unpredictable with the rise of the Yes campaign led by Alex Salmond in the polls and it looks as though it's going to be very close to call uh, when voting happens on September the 18th. I'm joined by Muir Dickey, our Scotland correspondent, who's in Kelty in Fife, and here in the studio by Michael Stott, the UK editor. Muir, give us your impressions, first of all, of the situation on the ground. How close do you think it is, and and, and where do you think the polls are going?
0: Well, it's definitely game on. Everybody agrees that uh, it's all there to fight for in this last week of the campaign. It is difficult to know exactly where opinion is, in part because the polls don't agree. They tell different stories. Um, some suggest that there has been a very dramatic shift in support towards, yes, a collapse for the nose, as the boss at YouGov has called it. But other polls, most recently Servation, suggests that there's been less change uh, and that the the no side retains a, a modest lead. I think the people on the ground... They tend to feel that their own campaigning, uh, canvassing is putting them ahead, but nobody is sure, and they're really fighting for every vote at this point.
1: Michael, this is an extraordinary turn of events, isn't it, as far as London is concerned. When this referendum campaign got going about a year ago, the assumption here south of the border was that it would be an interesting campaign, but nobody ever really imagined that there was a chance of Alex Salmond and the Yes Vote winning They've been pretty scared this week in London and in Westminster, haven't they?
2: They have, James. It's been extraordinary to watch the British political elite and the business elite waking up starting this week in in a state of horror after seeing the poll at the weekend, which put the yes camp in the lead for the first time as the fear dawned upon them all that uh, perhaps for the first time there was a chance the United Kingdom would break up in in a very short period of time. Although if you look back at history, it's odd that they should have been taken by surprise. If you look at Alex Salmond's tactics in the Scottish Parliament election, he in fact played exactly the same strategy. He was behind for a lot of the time. He campaigned very hard. He had a late surge. He came through and he won in the final weeks. So if you were using that history as a guide, you should have expected Salmond to have produced this late surge in support and had a strategy to deal with it. And I think the charge that can be levelled at the no camp is that they don't appear to have planned for that late surge and don't appear to have had a strategy which made them look this week a little disorganised, shall we say, when they were hastily trying to marshal their forces to shore up the no campaign.
1: Muir, do you agree with that analysis in Scotland?
0: Well, I think they've struggled to present the kind of positive message of the future in the United Kingdom um, that, that would inspire people and win over people in the middle. The yes camp, the yes message, has seemed more positive, more upbeat. They've cast it in many times as a kind of uh, a contest between hope and fear. But also, I think uh, perhaps the no camp, particularly Labour Party and and the other pro union parties, have not really recognised that while the SNP and Alex Salmond are the core of the yes campaign, that. It has become more than them. It's not a party political battle, and so as Michael was saying, they've had this strategy of of building support at the grassroots and and bringing it to a crescendo before the uh, before the vote. But the campaign has also gone beyond them. A lot of people who are out uh, canvassing and handing out leaflets now aren't SNP people, they're people without any kind of SNP background. Once the idea of yes has got abroad, you have a, a, quite a broad uh, pro-independence movement now, which perhaps the No Campus has struggled to respond to.
1: One of the central questions, Michael, in this whole campaign has been the economic one. It probably is the central question, the extent to which there is any certainty about what would happen if Scotland were to vote yes and become independent. The British government in London has been making the argument with all the parties behind it that there's no certainty about the currency and that a currency union is not something that they would accept, a union involving sterling. And then you've also seen this week a number of banks relocating, south, a headquarters south of the border, Lloyd's and RBS. Why do you think these arguments aren't getting through to the Scottish public? Because they do seem very strong arguments. I think you're quite right, James,
2: that the economic arguments may well be the ones that uh, sway voters in the end when they when they come to cast their ballots. I would divide the sort of the economic part of the campaign to two parts. I think what happened earlier in the campaign, if you like, the scare tactics from the no side uh, have not proved terribly effective. And the polling has shown us that largely because the Scottish voters discounted them as scare tactics and fear tactics and didn't entirely believe some of them. What you've seen this week, I think, is something slightly different, which is a much more concrete demonstration of some of the financial dangers of independence. So you've seen rather than scenarios and possible risks, you've seen actual facts. And among those actual facts has been a sharp fall in the pound, jitters in the stock market, some shares in leading Scottish companies falling quite sharply. And I think that is a very different sort of argument because it's an argument based on fact. And of course, the bank relocations that you mentioned today play into that same narrative and I think that narrative may well be one that resonates with voters in a way that the previous one perhaps didn't.
1: Muir do you see that where you are that these bank relocations and what's happening to sterling is having any effect?
0: Oh I think it does have an effect it's certainly among people who are nervous about the implications of independence for their own jobs for the jobs of people close to them for the economy in general for many of those people, this does increase the nervousness with which they view uh, the possibility of independence. I, mean, for, I spoke to one uh, person who will be voting no half an hour ago, and she said she's just really anxious. She likes the idea of independence for Scotland, but looking at the way that businesses are talking about it, the way that markets have reacted, has made her even more sure that Scotland would not prosper on its own outside the UK. But at the same time, there is a lot of people on the yes side who feel that this kind of warning from big business, but lots of companies warned about the problems that devolution would cause in the 90s. But then after Scotland had its parliament, it's done well. They feel that the southern elite is ganging up and they put it down to still that kind of fear mongering. And there's also among a lot of people, the question is not so much what the immediate effect would be, but in the long term, do they think that Scotland could prosper? Uh, Although Alex Salmond has painted a very rosy picture of a smooth transition without too much problem, use of the pound. A lot of the people who vote yes don't really believe that. They do think it would be difficult and expensive in the short term, but they think in the long term it it might be worth it, and that will be uh, important when they go to vote.
1: One of the things that's happened in the last few days, Michael, is that in order to try and head off the yes vote, the three-party leaders in, in London have come together and made a remarkable promise on extra powers for Scotland if people vote no, if Scotland stays in the United Kingdom, they will get additional devolution potential tax-raising powers, power over the money they spend and so forth. That's quite a big gift that has been now made by the London parties, isn't it? Well, you're right, James. It's
2: an important step. I think we shouldn't forget, too, that Scotland already has more powers coming its way. In any case, regardless of of the referendum, because there was an Act of Parliament passed in 2012, the Scotland Act, which gave Scotland substantial new powers in, in the realm of income tax particularly, and a couple of other taxes were devolved at the same time. Those powers don't actually come into effect until 2016, but the legislation is already on the statute books, so that's something already in train. What's now being discussed by the three main parties is a further transfer, probably which would take fiscal devolution at least up to its very limit, because there are quite strict European Union rules about what is and isn't doable in terms of tax-raising powers. For example, the biggest single source of revenue for Scotland is VAT, but European Union rules don't allow member states to levy different VAT rates within their borders. So VAT, for example, would have to stay at a single UK rate. And corporation tax, there's a great deal of opposition to devolving that because of the fear of a competitive race to the bottom you might see Scotland trying to emulate Ireland and, and set an extremely low rate to lure companies, which would be very detrimental to the rest of the UK. So I think this, this package that the three parties are talking about is probably, if you like, their, what they hope is their final gambit that would uh, represent the completion of the devolution process.
1: And Muir, from where you are on the ground in Scotland, do you think that final gambit on devolution is having any impact? Is, is it swaying people towards the no in the way that David Cameron, Ed Miliband and Nick Clegg would like?
0: been, I think, very important for the no side that there has been promises of devolution because that helps them to make the argument that a vote for no is not a vote for the status quo, that things will get better, Scotland will have more control over its destiny in the future, even if it votes no. But there's a problem that this sort of um, urgent repackaging of the powers that were already being variously promised, and there's not complete agreement between the main parties of what these would actually um, include, it smacks a bit of panic, it makes it easier for the SNP to argue that it's just a gambit to win the vote and nothing can be relied on afterwards. The SNP say, well, if you really wanted to do this stuff, you could have done it ages ago. You could have put another question on the ballot, as was proposed for the referendum. And David Cameron didn't want to do that, but is now offering powers anyway. So they're they're kind of picking at that. But I, I think it's important that there be a sense that things will change. I'm not sure how many voters are looking at the and how
2: many will be convinced by the flurry of activity over the last few days. Yes, and if I, I could add there, Muir, I think it's it's interesting to note that within the two main parties, Labour and the Conservatives, there are some quite important divisions of opinion about devolution. They're by no means united on this point, and uh, I think some of them might find it rather difficult to swallow an extra transfer of powers to Scotland.
1: I'm going to put a final question to both of you. What's going to happen on September the 18th? I'm afraid I'm going to put you both on the spot. Muir, first of all, is it going to be yes or no? <laughs>
0: We don't know, and I think that's important. No, you're not allowed to sit on the
1: fence, you have to say.
0: <laughs> if, I, if I was going to bet, I would probably bet on a no, just because we see in, in other referendums, most obviously there's a parallel, like Quebec, a shift towards uh, the Conservative vote at the end. But I don't think anybody should take that for granted.
1: Michael? I would also say it's going to be a no. But at the same time... It's going to be close, isn't it? It's going to be close.
2: And I think it, the, the relationship of the United Kingdom and its constituent nations will change irrevocably, despite you know, whatever the result of the referendum.
1: Michael Stott in London and Muir Dicky in Fife in Scotland. Thank you very much indeed. This was World Weekly. I'm James Blitz. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.